Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan, with me today to talk about Glass, the newest film from writer-director M. Night Shyamalan. We have Michael Snydell. Hello! Bill Graham. Woo! And a special guest, it's Lee Monson. Hello! Hello! Lee, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about you and your background? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm Lee Munson. I write for Birth Movies Death uh, and occasionally other places. Uh, uh, these kind of folks have asked me to offer my thoughts on Glass because apparently I tweeted something interesting about it. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, that's, Dude, where were you me. put on Twitter? <laughs> Yes. It'll if get you, you like an hour and a half on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> if your tweets are too good, some assholes on a podcast are going to ask you to come and talk about a movie. Yeah, they they wrote me into this. They they tied me up. They they like one oh, of these guys has like more personalities than I can count, and I'm just I'm tied to a radiator, uh, and they won't let me leave until I do this podcast because apparently that's going to purify me. Uh, <laughs> that's intense. <laughs> i'm sorry you have to go through that i'm now trying to think of who amongst us would be the least shocking to find out keeps people tied to radiators <laughs> oh, Come on, and um Ryan. i gotta be honest michael <laughs> that really seems like a you type of thing oh, oh, great thanks <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so we're here to talk about Glass, uh, the newest film from writer-director M. Night Shyamalan. Look, there's there's is... no basements in Dallas, all right? So, you know, you have to have scary basements. For okay, fine, a brick factory. <laughs> <laughs> Are there brick factories in Dallas? I don't Are know. Bill, Bill, what are you even doing here if you can't answer <laughs> these questions? Each one of us has to perfectly represent our cities, which is why Michael is here to be our local Chicago expert. Okay. Yeah, Moving all right, on. good. We've gotten the Michael Sorry. Sigh out of the way. Let's get through all the usual nonsense. Uh, Twitter, at Film Stage Show. Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Find us on iTunes. Give us a comment and rating. Email us, podcast at filmstage.com. As always, go to our Patreon and give us your money, and you can become part of our awesome Slack channel. Get first dibs at a bunch of great raffles. And, of course, help us to produce more great content for you and your ears to enjoy. Um, in addition, we are brought to you by Mubi, where every day their gregarious curators add a brand new film to their platform that you have 30 days to watch. They have got a uh, whole little thing going on called What is an Auteur? And so they are posting films from directors. And uh, actually some interesting things. The last two days just came on. If you're a fan of Catherine Bigelow, you've got Near Dark and Blue Steel. I don't know why I thought you said Catherine Bigelow, and for some reason my mind immediately went to Heigl, and I was like, "This, this is 
interesting twist by movie. Noted, noted auteur <laughs> Catherine Heigl. Yeah, and you can watch uh, Wish Upon a Star and um, that dresses. one where Gerard Butler is a dick to her. 27 Dresses is pretty, is pretty good, honestly. <laughs> there is that, that one with Gerard Butler's real bad, though. I, I remember for a hot That one movie, with Gerard Butler is real bad. <laughs> Well, you know, the Not... one with <laughs> Catherine Heigl and, and yeah. Butler. What is yeah. that? It's the one where I just know what the, the, the poster is. There's the heart, and then for the guy, yeah. it's over the penis. Ugly, 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 ugly truth? Could that be Ooh. right? There's, there's, there's some, uh, wh- what is that? Um, Austin Powers bullshit you, going on? In, you like, are uh... right. It is the ugly truth. Oh. Wow. Good, good for me. <laughs> Is what it? achievements? <laughs> this Sorry, is why. No, go, go ahead. This is why I'm saying that Michael probably has people tied to radiators. <laughs> anyway, so movie, uh, awesome Ooh. films driven directly to you. You can watch them on your PC, your phone if you're a monster, your smart TV for a free 30 day trial. Go to mubi.com/slash/filmstage and you will get a free 30 days to check out movie and understand why we love it so much. Again, that is mu. Bi.com slash film stage. And so that's that. We are now free to talk about Glass. This film, spoiler alert, is the sequel to Unbreakable and Split. And it concerns David Dunn, played by Bruce Willis from Unbreakable, searching Kevin Wendell Crumb out and trying to do battle with him. When suddenly both are kidnapped, or not kidnapped, I guess, eh, apprehended and brought <laughs> to a psych ward where a doctor tries to convince the men that perhaps their powers are actually just a delusion. So, strap yourselves in. Here is the trailer. It's amazing to meet you. It is simply extraordinary. Maybe this will all make sense if I explain who I am. My name is Dr. Ellie Staple, and I'm a psychiatrist. My work concerns a particular type of delusion of grandeur. It's a growing field. I specialize in those individuals who believe they are superheroes. Good for you. All right. That is the trailer for Glass. It's out in theaters now. Let's talk about it. To start off, um, I'd love to know our general thoughts on Unbreakable and Split leading into our nutshell reviews of Glass. And um, also, just because it's an M. Night Shyamalan film, I think we should start off with our one-word answers as to whether or not we believe that people should go and see Glass. So, start with our guest, Lee. One word. Should people go and see Glass? One word's not enough. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Is eh a word? Yeah, eh has eh has actually been used on this podcast as a one-word response to that question. With like 12 H's, like eh. Yeah, okay, I can dig that. All right, Bill Graham. 
maybe. <laughs> Sweet, Michael Snydell. Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to just straight up say yes. So there you go. If you're just here to try to see if you should see this movie, there's your sort of kind of almost answers. All right. So now the actual nutshell. You're going to have to actually listen to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they, they have to at all. No, I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> All right, so nutshell reviews, starting with Done. Lee. What did you think of Unbreakable and Split? And then uh, what were your thoughts in a general sense on Glass? So I'm not as in love with Unbreakable as a lot of folks are. I think it's a solid movie. Um, I did kind of come to it a lot later than when it came out. I only saw it like about a year ago. Um, or no, when did Split come out? Uh I saw it right before Split because I heard because I heard about the spoiler for Split. Anyway, but, but like it's fine. Like I liked it. It's it's a cool grounded superhero flick that I don't think reinvents the wheel or anything. Um, Split, I also like, but it also feels like it's the first act of a more complete story that doesn't really resolve and it just baits you with that sequel hook for glass. So, um, and then I, I forgot where was I giving my thoughts on glass too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, glass. Oh boy. Uh, this movie doesn't want you to like it. <laughs> and I find that fascinating. So I don't know if I want to say I like it, because I don't think the movie wants me to. But also, I kind of like that sort of audacity to it. All right. Michael Snydell. Yeah, I, I, um, <clears throat> for Unbreakable and Split, Unbreakable was something I came to. Uh, I'd seen it earlier and just, uh, I don't know, I'd kind of dismissed it for whatever reason. But uh, rewatched it a couple years ago and was just really impressed Um just in terms – like just on a director level, like I, I still think of that early scene where in, in a hospital and, and just like the composition in that scene for some for some reason is something I think about a lot. And I, I just feel like the, the, uh, the very unusual rhythms of Unbreakable and it's like, like very intentional like uh, difficulty is, is something I, I admire quite a bit. Split is something that – I, I I like quite a bit, but I think where Split in in general I can say about uh, M Night uh, Shyamalan's films is I, I I like them to be really upfront with their combination of um, pulp philosophy and like pseudoscience. And the thing I didn't like about Split is that once it it did become clear that it was going to make sweeping statements about mental illness and stuff, I I felt like the – not necessarily that the rug was pulled under me, but that I had been kind of deluded into watching one thing and um, – without like knowing all the information, I guess. And um, yeah, Glass is – Glass is is fascinating. I, I said potentially because I, I think it really does depend on where you land on M Night. I mean, even the failures of M Night are things that I find 
fascinating, if not something that I, I really love. I, I think he's a director that um, sw- swings for the fences and, you know, he he doesn't always succeed, especially, I mean, like, I have to say the first 10, 15 minutes when I heard some of the dialogue and uh, M. Night himself as a cameo, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a rough ride. There, there are definitely... I, when this puts the dialogue right up right up front, it is uh, it, its clunkiness is very apparent. But um, I, I think that the the story he's trying to tell, the strangeness, also the way that it is both like it's like a, a, a indie in like a blockbuster trappings. It's like one setting pretty much. Um, it feels like it doesn't feel like horror. It's like adjacent to horror, but like more thoughtful sort of. So like, I, I think the things that I really like about this to are, are kind of auteurish bullshit a, a little bit, but it's, <laughs> it's still nonetheless like was something that kept me going through the whole movie. Um, the performances, I, I don't know. I, I, I still kind of think Elijah is the like MVP of the mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. these movies? Um, like, and just personally, I I don't know where you guys land, but I don't know the James McAvoy horde thing is something I think is is fun, but I get start to get really confused when people are like, "This is like a career best performance for him," because it starts to feel a lot like method acting stuff to me. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk talk further but like i definitely think your mileage will vary depending how interested you are in an m night movie with all of the baggage that implies all right bill graham okay remind me again what am i doing here i'm talking about <laughs> oh my god what did you think of unbreakable what do you think unbreakable. of split okay how about okay. glass <laughs> just saw unbreakable earlier today Enjoyed first time it. Yes, first time. Uh, did not see Split knowing with the knowledge that it was a sequel to Unbreakable like many other people. So I just went in, had a good time, and was like, hey, that was a hell of a movie. And then the end credits hit, and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> and my friend was like, ooh. And I was like, oh? <laughs> and he was just like, you don't know? And I was like, no, nah, I don't know. <laughs> this is like a recording really of an experience right in the theater. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know nothing about yes. Unbreakable. So, yeah, I just saw it today, uh, decided to buy it. So now I'm the proud owner of it because people just kept mentioning how good it was. And I was like, fuck, if I'm doing this podcast, I got to go see it. And uh, really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I Well, no, let me take that back. It is not a fun experience. <laughs> it is a dour as fuck movie. <laughs> but it is well made. It is competent. Uh and I definitely see it like a lot of people keep mentioning that it, it was of a time. It was like six months before or six months after the first X-Men movie had come out. So the superhero kind of genre hadn't really exploded yet. Um, well, exploded yet enough to have any kind of film repercussions as far as like six months later. Um, and so – yeah, it, it kind of stands the test of time as far as I'm concerned because it's really, really good. Um, Split was 
a lot of fun. And then it was kind of that backdoor pilot kind of situation where <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, this is happening. Um, I enjoyed McAvoy's performance. I it it was it was balanced enough with other people on the screen to where it wasn't a it it never like overstayed its welcome. Um and they actually gave like the credit to each individual character. So I got to learn some of those personalities and this film does nothing really to further that. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed split and then I got to this film. I walked out of it like literally like an hour and a half ago. And my initial impression was I enjoyed that. And the more and more I keep thinking about it, the more and more I'm like, I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> that was traumatic. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Why was that movie so bad? How did it how did it take such two like two very charismatic, like full of of like things to say films in its prior like trilogy? It's called the East Rail 177 trilogy now, which is also just like Okay, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Wait, and is that true? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh. That's uh that's the official uh title of this trilogy, which is stupid because nobody's ever gonna call it that. <laughs> yeah. Um it, it's it's it really real rolls dumb. off the tongue. And, <laughs> and that that just kind of in a nutshell tells you all you need to know about this movie that you're like, Oh, cool, it's this it's like the end point and what's it called? Oh, why is it called that? I don't I don't get it and then you're just like yeah this this movie doesn't get it either every time samuel L. jackson is on the screen uh he is fantastic every time he is acting even with his eye twitch i don't care he's good all the time in this movie he's fantastic too bad nobody else is any good in this movie um especially bruce willis but even james mcavoy kind of just leaves you it, there's too much beast Way too much beast in this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, and and this movie treats you like it treats you like you're a dumbass if you don't know anything about comics. But apparently, like, there's some inaccuracies it gets wrong, including like the whole first like Unbreakable film when like he's talking about like limited edition and it's like yeah that's. That's not like a thing. That's like a print run. That's not a, a feature of a comic. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. So, yeah, this this movie's real bag of shit. Bad. <laughs> it feels like your your opinion of this movie has taken a nosedive since your one word reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed. You just taught yourself into hating it. Yeah, it's. It's it's a it's 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 like a, a very, very pretty dive at the Olympics where like they're going through like all the twists and the turns and then it's just a belly flop right at the end. You're just like, oh, yeah. So Bill held that. up like a 10 and then immediately dropped it and picked up a seven and now is just like throwing <laughs> just turned, a drink no, I, at the person <laughs> as they try to get out of the pool. <laughs> I just turned the 10 upside down. I'm just like a one. <sighs> Bill's standing at the railing just shoving the person's head underwater. <laughs> anyway. David Dunn, no. <laughs> so um so my thoughts on this film. Uh first of all, really dug Unbreakable when I saw it as a kid. <clears throat> I say kid, I, I was probably like 
13. Yeah, that's kid. That works. Um, so I dug it when I saw it as a kid. I uh, I remember watching Split and and enjoying the hell out of it. And obviously, you know, if you're interested, you can go back in time and find the podcast that we did on Split at thefilmstage.com. And uh, the ending was amazing because Unbreakable was always one of those movies where it's like, ah, God, I wish that it had done well enough to like warrant a sequel. But this was back in the days when it was actually slightly difficult to get a sequel off the ground <laughs> if a movie didn't do outstandingly well. Um, so it was super cool to be like, wow, they kind of did like a sequel to Unbreakable that's like just enough to like let you know that like the world is still going and David Dunn is still out there and clearly he's like got something going on. So when they said that like they're going to make glass... I was super excited. I wanted to see kind of, you know, how M. Night Shyamalan would tackle a superhero like, you know, film in this, the age of, of Marvel films. And I think that I was a fool to believe that someone as strange and singular a vision as M. Night Shyamalan would do that. Um, and this movie very quickly disabuses you of the idea that that's what this is going to be. And I think that I could, I, when I was watching this at the press screening, I could feel the, not just the, the theater, but the world getting ready to turn against this movie <laughs> because of the ways that it doesn't give you what you have probably been waiting for or are hoping for. But I ended up finding it like super fun and really interesting. And I thought that its themes and its ideas were worth exploring. And I think Shyamalan maybe was a little too messy in the way that he did that. But I still think that like the ideas that he's toying around with and the oddity of like the, the final, like, I guess, narrative climax of this East Rail what is it 117 177 I believe one, one, see I'm never going to remember that none of us live in Philly his, his <laughs> East Rail trilogy <laughs> is like a very strange thing but I sort of love that it all comes down to like this one crazy person who just wants people to believe that the extraordinary is possible and that like rather than this like clash of the Titans that we might be ready to see when we enter the theater. Like the thing that this movie really is rooting for is like the belief that something incredible is, is possible. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's a movie that's going to piss a lot of people off. I think it's a movie that lingers in a few places a little too long, but in general, like I'm, I'm totally on its side and I, I dig what it had to say. At the same time, Lee, you're totally right when you say this movie doesn't want people to like it. Yeah, no. Because it's it's so confrontational. Like, Shyamalan persistently includes dialogue in this movie that is condescending to the point of farce. Where Even, where- even like, the twist ending is just, like, literally someone telling you on the screen, like, what just happened. And you're just like... Oh God, really? Like that's mm-hmm. that's your twist ending now? Is like some character off screen is just or like just barely on screen is just gonna tell you the whole the whole ending twist? And it's just like, damn, really? <laughs> so 
Yeah. yeah. Well, and then on top of that, the, the themes that are wrapped up in that ending are so they're so audience antagonistic. It, it's like I I spend uh, the first ninety minutes of this movie priming you for uh, for this big event. And then I'm going to withhold it from you just to make a point. And I'm not even going to make that point very well, but you're supposed to respect me because I'm making the point. And I respect the point. I don't necessarily respect the execution. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's so hard because what's frustrating about this movie is that it's designed to frustrate, but there are so many things that are inherent in Shyamalan's direction that that it's frustrating for so many other reasons beyond the intentionally frustrating ones. And so you have to parse that out and it's so difficult. And and it, I think I like this movie in the sense that it makes me think and it makes me dwell on it. Mm-hmm. Like, but I don't know that I ever want to watch it again. <laughs> I find that interesting. I, I like, I, <laughs> for all of the good things that I have written about and and spoken out loud about this movie, I don't know if I'm going to watch it again. Mm-hmm. I I I can I have definitely seen Unbreakable multiple times. I've seen Split, you know, two or three times. I feel as though there are aspects of Glass that I would love to revisit. Um, not the least of which is just seeing Samuel Jackson in like full wheelchair bound Lex Luthor mode, just having a, having a goddamn ball. But, um, I just like, there's a, there's the whole Simpsons thing where it's like, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? (laughs) And this, this movie is like a movie that built itself as a trip to a fireworks factory that knows that you want to get to the fireworks factory and keeps telling you that the fireworks factory is coming and showing you pictures Traffic's of the fireworks real factory. Bad. <laughs> and then like it never gets there. And that's the whole point is that like the fireworks factory is a lie. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's super interesting to have lived through it. And I really, I want to know like every human being on earth's interpretation of it, but I don't know that I ever need to go through it again myself. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's, I don't know. I I can't even think of like a non-offensive analogy. Um, It's the type of thing like you want to have experienced and want to know other people's reaction to. But if someone were to be like, you want to do it again? I'd be like, eh, probably not. I think I'm good. Yeah. You, you, here's money. You go tell me what you think. (laughs) I'll sit this one out. (laughs) I I think in terms of of trilogies, I, it reminds, it's most analogous to me to the Wachowski sisters, like later matrix sequels. But, but I specifically say that, especially in relation to what you're saying, Brian, about the idea that you're like, you're somewhat happy that they were able to finish the story, but you also know that, you know, the, the journey wasn't, you know, rewarding enough or or there or you're not sure what you'd even get out of this again like there is something you know for unbreakable uh having you know just this like constant ambiguity like literally in the themes of like literally the main theme of the movie the idea of whether you know david is real superhero or not but like uh, glass is there's such finality into it in it in such a weird way and like I, I know you guys, uh, I, Bill. I know you already mentioned the the strangeness of the of the uh, 
you know, twist per se, because we obviously have to talk about a twist in an M. Night Shyamalan movie. But like even the way that that is deployed and executed is is so unusual because it it almost hangs the opposite ending for like too long. Like I, I kept being very surprised how long we spend um, in, in those like suspended moments right before it actually, you know, reveals what, it, what it's interested in. And that reminds me a lot of like the delayed gratification of something like the later matrix trilogy is like, I don't know what the highway chase is in, mm-hmm. in glass, but I still get a very similar sensation in, in terms of like a narrative uh, perspective on it. Yeah. It, it's interesting that you bring up the matrix. I guess I didn't think about this because like, Reloaded and Revolutions are kind of a rebuttal against a lot of the power fantasy aspects of the original Matrix. So hmm. uh, the the fact that you're you're drawing the comparison where with where Glass is kind of rebutting the sort of uh, power fantasy that isn't really an Unbreakable, but is kind of built up uh, in people's expectation of superhero films. And his son's character as well. Yeah, and in his son's character. Yeah, that's oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting angle to take it from. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I really wish that if you didn't know, well, l- let me phrase it a different way. Um, the character apparently was taken out of Unbreakable. Um, the the split character, uh, Kevin, um, was taken out of Unbreakable apparently of because scripts really mm-hmm, because he felt like it was just getting too bogged down, and so the huh. fact that like these two characters don't feel like they belong in the same movie is very interesting, and like. Sorry, know, David like, and the Horde or Glass and the Horde? Whoa, what? Uh, I, uh, uh, yeah, uh, David and the Horde. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, anybody and the Horde kind of, you know, a Split was a, was a very good, like, kind of uh, exploration of that, that, that character and that, that personality, and it fits that film fairly well. But I think when you start putting him in a film with, with Glass and with, with David – uh, the overseer, uh, overseer is that yep. underseer? Yes. Uh, overseer, the, un- What's the underseer, underseer? <laughs> the underminer. I don't know. The underminer. I think the, I think the underseer is Daredevil. <laughs> Ooh, terrible joke. <laughs> uh, okay. Um. Anyways. Um. Yeah. So I think when you put him in this film, he, he's just so 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 much, and. Unbreakable just did so much to try and like ground it into reality and like put it in this kind of depressed episode of like what this family is going through. Like, I mean, that that film basically opens up with him like removing his ring to flirt with a woman on a Mm. train. Like, it's just like, Jesus, this movie is like going for something and split that character just really doesn't fit in that kind of world. And it feels like it every time he's on screen, every time he's around, you're just like, uh, these, these characters don't, don't mesh. Are and you, so, I, but here's the thing. Like I feel as though I see people 
every day who I don't feel like occupy the same world as me. So like, <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, not to, not to belittle or, or berate anyone, but like, yeah, just like walking the streets of DC. I'm like, well, that guy's not me. These people aren't like, none of these people seem as though they've had a single similar life experience and they all appear to be in a completely different, like narrative track than I sure. am. I mean, like, you know, never have I felt more completely lost and out of place than when I went to like a rave once. Uh-huh. And I was just like, who are all these people who have all this, like, spandex and neon fishnets and, like, these crazy boots? Like, Brian, I want to see you at a rave. That sounds <laughs> that sounds great. If you imagine me <laughs> at a dive bar and then take away the dive bar but keep my general posture and, like, my drink <laughs> order the it, same. It, it's a Where's Waldo kind of situation. <laughs> just like, yeah. Okay. <sighs> Yeah, um, and then it's just it like, like me. Your life is a movie that has tone problems. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, here's, everyone's here's, life is a movie that has tone problems. Like if you've ever just been yeah, sitting on the bus reading a book, my... and then suddenly, like one of those people, like or those breakdancing groups comes on, <laughs> and you're just like, "Well, this Flash isn't mob. germane. Like this isn't what should be <laughs> happening." But like that's how it is. Yeah, but I don't want my reality reflected back at me but in see, a that's, film that is, like that is very, <laughs> yeah, that is very controlled. Like M. Night Shyamalan has the ability, maybe, I don't know, maybe he does, to make this cohesive and feel as a piece. And he decided to just further that kind of dramatic, uh, I don't know shoving in of a different character into this world that just feels out of place. Like Sarah Paulson's character does not feel like she belongs in the split film. She belongs in unbreakable for sure. And, and then yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that. Yeah. It's almost as if he split from the tone of unbreakable and, (laughs) and shattered your expectations. Like glass. Um, yeah, I don't know. You're welcome. Anytime. (laughs) For me, for me, there is something valuable in the way that, like, you know, David Dunn, even before he was a an unbreakable superhero, um, whose name is still in flux, but now appears to have settled on the overseer, he was, like, already a dour person. Like, he was, he was super, like, reserved and didn't seem to have, like, a lot going on. And so, like, even as he gains these powers, he still has that. And I find it interesting that, like... You take what is ostensibly a super boring man and then give him the the moral necessity to go out and, like, fight evil. And he is going to be, like, bumping up against some people with some personalities that are going to be in direct opposition to his own. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I sort of found a lot to enjoy in that in that whole like weird twisted sort of like here's a dad walking down the street and all of a sudden kevin wendell crumb uh as hedwig you know slams into him and it's just it's the strangest thing but like that is what happens in a situation like that i found that i found that enticing and interesting and it, it kept me going the whole way through the movie just like the concept that all these disparate characters are all following this strange path to try to like create something grander. I, I, I think it, 
Yeah, I, I, Brian, I agree with you. And, and I think thematically that that whole idea of these, as you're saying, that these people can occupy the same world is very much like in line with the entire movie and M. Night Shyamalan's ideas about like exceptional people. But like I – I, I where I do I think find a little more purchase with uh, with Bill's feelings uh, is when we do come to the uh, sorry to, to the asylum and and you bring these three characters I think you do start to feel some of the strain that that comes with bringing these three characters especially considering how long glasses or sorry yeah uh, yeah Elijah's long game is it is a very long game before you know he reveals his plan or before he even becomes a character and is just like you know is not just lectured at like i i think that's where some of that stuff like and i'm ultimately positive about this film but i definitely think that this it's some of it's some of the things that you're referring to like it, it seems like he undermines it in a way that doesn't just feel messy to me. I, I think that the way he goes about it is very, very much him, which I think saves him. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, especially now hearing that the the horde, uh, it, Kevin James McAvoy's character was almost in Unbreakable. It it does. It does make me wonder right, about this film, and I don't want to speculate, obviously, how long he's had this conclusion. But it, it, there is, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, from the, you know, when when you were talking about that fireworks factory metaphor, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that that makes sense ultimately in terms of the tower, but I think it makes less sense when it starts almost reversing or like inverting that idea like two times over. Like, I, I think I, I found, I, I don't know. Do we want to like jump into spoilers? Cause I really want to get a sense of where everybody fell on, I guess the, I'd say three revelations. And I don't know if one of them's really a revelation, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down to go into spoilers because I I did want to start getting into some of the more yeah sure end game type things to speak about that. I um before we do, I just want to say I think that James McAvoy is doing the Lord's work in this movie. Um, if he ever just wants to do a one man show where he mm-hmm. plays Kevin Wendell Crumb, I will go see it. Um, just that character? Yeah. Okay. Only Kevin. Just Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Constantly scared on the verge of tears, Kevin Wendell Crumb. Um, his, his, his 12 or what is it like 20 other personalities can just stay home. Like. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be called sorry, I've got the light did. now, bitches. Um, <laughs> sorry, they did not make uh, the, the showtime today, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Who's um, the understudy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. I, yeah, know, so, I don't. I don't know. I'm, I, wait, I'm just curious, real quick. Does everybody like James McAvoy in this? Because I felt. I, I don't know. I was feeling some of the method acting ticks every once in a while when watching him, and like when he just. He had, I don't know. I just see the the process too often with, with some of with some of this stuff. What do you mean it, by it, the method acting ticks? Like it doesn't seem 
a far cry away from something like uh you know a christian bale and vice type thing to me like it it, it does I love that though <laughs> yeah well you're alone on that bill <laughs> all right i mean the, the thing with with mcavoy in this is that He's he's doing something that's a pretty common acting exercise in sure. like splitting between different characters on the fly. Like that's like that's something that they teach in classes. So it, it's not like that unusual of an acting trick. Um, but the fact that he's able to invest each of these characters with enough personality that they're instantly identifiable without any sort of prop work or ca- costume changes specifically in this movie uh like that's impressive um i don't know that it's like the the come to jesus moment that a lot of folks say it is but it like it's it's still good work um i find him highly entertaining in this movie um even even though i recognize that like i do see the strings pulling the puppetry as it were like like you were saying but it's it's i mean that's just kind of how I see movies. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I, I think maybe it's just the hyperbole. So I was just curious where everybody landed on him because it's definitely this well, time he got he was a little more tired to me this time than than in Split. And I'll say that. Okay, that that's fair. Um, I I will. As listeners probably know, uh, I will remind them that Mike has a tendency to focus on the on the strings as well. So, um, just overall. Oh, I thought um, you were going to say just be negative. N- no, no, no. <laughs> um, like he he has a habit of like saying that this felt like like a script thing and you know kind of perfunctory and stuff like that. So, right. Not if to, it's not, not a true on, dyed in the wool like really <laughs> accurate representation of Chicago politics, <laughs> Michael's going to make a problem uh, about it. Yeah. Just just um, basically ignore everything he says. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I I don't know. Like I I I I still think he's good, but um he's he just feels wildly out of place now. So, talking about Michael? No. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. This is actually my audition. I'm here to replace you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was I going to say? I don't know. Without getting bogged down in it so we can move into spoilers, I just – I understand the concept of someone feeling out of place, but I think once you – allow for the idea that like the this is like comic books pushing into the real world, you kind of have to like abandon that because like for every – normal gangster batman villain there's a a joker you know who's super fucking weird and it's like (laughs) that guy feels out of place in gotham like it it does feel weird to me though that like that they basically had a wolverine character and were like hey what if someone else like deadpool like fought wolverine and it's like wait they have kind of the same powers and they have like kind of the same abilities why is this interesting and it's like oh yeah to to see two grown men like push on each other a bunch that's that's real real cinematic (laughs) you know it's just like uh uh i I wish you would have chosen a different power i don't know i will um Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the spoiler warning. We're gonna enter into spoilers now, just so I can address what Bill said. And I will also be spoiling the ending of uh, the movie Ravenous. Oh, okay. 
double spoiler. Okay. Just to, just because what you say, Bill, it, I, I can't deny that, like, yes, these men appear to have two very similar power sets. But there is something inherently compelling to watching two people who uh, should both be at once the rock and the, like, immovable object, like, come to blows. And in Ravenous, the same thing happens, where basically, like, it's just two guys who have eaten enough people to become almost immortal, just stabbing each other for like a good seven minutes as they wander around this camp until eventually they kill each other. And that can sometimes be compelling. I think that in Ravenous, the fact that it's an R-rated movie where they literally ran out of blood while shooting the final scene helps. (laughs) Um, I think that in this movie, maybe uh, the rating and the kind of commitment to wanting to still have a sense of like weight and gravity to things sort of creates a, a lessening of that power. But I, I still found all of that to be quite interesting. However, there are a number of twists and or revelations that occur in this movie. Um, Michael and I had been talking on Slack, and I said that there were two movies that this movie reminded me of, but that both could have been considered spoilers. The first is Scream, mm-hmm. which, um, if yeah. you've seen Unbreakable, is not so much a spoiler, because really, it's it's a world in which this stuff is happening, but people also are aware of that idea. So, like, in the Marvel films, no one's ever like, wow, this is just like a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh no, Brian brought out his voices. <laughs> Every once in a while, I've just got to bust out a voice. Uh, yeah. Did, did break out the Jimmy Stewart voice. Like, <laughs> As I was doing it, Lee, I thought to myself, why is Jimmy Stewart the one that you went to? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Mary. <laughs> this, this Iron Man fellow. Clarence, I want to live again. I want to read the next issue of Superman. <laughs> Does he love? Does he not? But so, <laughs> so in Scream, oh, two dis—I guess spoilers for Scream. Uh, two disturbed <laughs> young men decide that they're going to make their own slasher film as a means of doing whatever. Uh, Someone's mother left because of something. I can't remember all of it. But basically, they're looking at horror movies as like the holy text that they're going to follow. And thus, they manipulate events in order to be able to live within that. And everyone around them is like, here are the rules for like surviving a scary movie. Don't have sex. Never say you'll be right back. And like, this movie is that, but for comic books. So like, when we talk about the fact that all these people are talking about comic books as though no one has ever like heard of a comic book before, <laughs> I view it more like a religious person who's trying to like talk themselves through like all the Christ parallels like with the new Messiah or something. Like these are people who are like, okay, if I understand the medium, then I can understand what's going to happen next. Mm. And so while it is still a little silly. I think that it's a lot less M. Night Shyamalan doesn't understand that we probably know these things already. And it's a little more like these are the the prophets who are speaking the gospel of these new emergent gods. Does that make sense? It does, but at the same time, it's delivered in such a 
a, a blunt, ham-fisted, we're all explaining things to each other that we all already know sort of way, mm-hmm. that it, it, it feels really condescending. I guess whether that's intentional is, is up for debate, but it, it definitely felt like Shyamalan was not acknowledging the degree to which we all know these tropes and character archetypes already based on the last two decades of film cinema film cinema uh and that was a common criticism i had i had heard going into the film was basically hey unbreakable was such a cool idea but it was also before like comic book films really kind of took hold and like took root in the popular culture and then he comes out with this film which is basically like oh no 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 i'm not gonna touch on any of that bullshit um i'm just gonna keep within my own world and like make a a direct sequel and it kind of feels like that because it kind of feels like it doesn't push but then at the end it's like hey here's my grand idea and i'm like okay i get the grand idea i like the grand idea i really wish you would have fucking made that twist a little bit sooner so you could really kind of pull this out and like really sell it to me because otherwise it kind of leaves me with with this really interesting idea and nugget for for more potential fucking movies i guess but it doesn't do it with enough runtime remaining it basically just runs out of out of runway and it's just like ooh, okay that's your that's your big grand statement about like all of this I don't know. It, uh, Bill, just to be clear, which which twist are you talking about? Uh, the final one where okay. basically the uh, it's revealed that there's some kind of secret organization that's keeping superheroes basically at bay and trying to keep the wool over everybody's eyes. And then, no, we're going to send it to everybody's iPhone instead and then show the world this. And I'm like, ah, okay, let's see where let's see where this goes. And then it's just like end (laughs) you're just like oh okay well and and you know we we recently talked about like giving giving kind of the nod to films that leave us wanting more right like that's that's not necessarily a bad thing however i think here it's a bad thing (laughs) where it's just like damn it uh because because this film does so much to make that kind of the grand statement and then it's like yeah but you'll have to tune in later if if there is a later hopefully this movie makes enough money i don't i I mean i don't know it's already doubled its budget on the opening weekend yeah Yeah. so so i mean it's it's gonna make enough money whether m night decides to make another one of these because this this kind of feels like like a finale but it also kind of feels like it's just kicking open that door as well so i don't know well i, I think know. that um there's a couple of things i want to touch on the first is just to wrap up the thing i was saying earlier uh the second movie that i thought this was like that is also a spoiler is uh shutter island mm. since we have now brought up the shadowy organization hitherto for unhinted towards in any of these three movies whose mm-hmm. sole purpose is to keep spectacular individuals from recognizing what they can do and what their potential is. And basically this whole movie hinges on the idea that Dr. Ellie Staple, played by Sarah Paulson, 
is trying to trick these people into thinking that they just have a delusion and that they're not special as a means of like making them go away without having to murder them. Yeah. With a three day time limit, which let me tell you, that's not how, (laughs) that's not how therapy works. (laughs) I, I also found it very interesting that, um, the flash scene that, that Bruce Willis, like this film sets up having not seen unbreakable, until today it was very much on my mind that oh the doctor and him haven't touched and that's like his his like intuition it's his spidey sense right and it's like Mm -hmm. okay and as soon as i realized that they hadn't touched yet i was like oh there's gonna be something about her touching him and then like showing something at the end Mm -hmm. i didn't realize it was going to be showing something at the end where basically people stand up and are like hi we're all in the secret society and like and it's it's treated as like some dramatic reveal and i was like what the fuck is this like i don't understand and even bruce willis's character is just kind of like uh all right lady that that's some evil shit i guess you uh took over a restaurant like i don't I don't know what the fuck that sequence even is because it doesn't give you anything until like you see the fucking it's not a clover leaf, right? Because it's three. It's, no, it's a, a clover. No, it's it's a four leaf clover. It, no, it's also three, three leaf, leaf clover. clovers are still clovers. But yeah, oh, okay, like okay. why are you no, trying to denigrate like ninety nine percent of clovers <laughs> and the Irish? Jeez, Bill. <laughs> because because. The the four is the is the one. It's the sacred one. All right. Anyways, um, it's not sacred. It's yeah. lucky. The sacred uh, okay, one is the three. What? It's the Trinity. Oh Jesus! Is that what that is? This is why you have a Catholic oh. on this podcast. <laughs> I I should probably know that. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't my know God. that, guys. Yeah. Okay. I, so, I grew so up Catholic, is, and I didn't know that. Religion, what the hell is say, going on say, here? Is religion <laughs> tied into this, or is this just a secret organization that decided to fucking use use the three leaf clover? It's I mean, Shyamalan. His hubris is his religion. So <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, He's kind of obsessed with spirituality too, in general. Even if it's you know his movies. Age, okay, okay. His, his movies with their their insistence upon like guilt and shame and like gravity the is the very his movies are very Catholic. Yes. Um, okay. Repression. So, am, am, am I the only one that didn't understand that that staple like flash sequence and was kind of thrown off by that? Wait, f- Did, flash. Are you referring to the first it, one where okay. it shows her like stand up in the middle of a restaurant and like say hi to everybody? And, oh no, I I understood what that was. Yeah, right I got away. it. What? Yeah, I, understood I still want to. I still want to know the logistics, though, for how they make sure that no one comes in that restaurant, though. Like, how do you ensure that you well, have they, an exact... They, <laughs> well, yeah, they, they lock the door, but yeah, that's... that's Someone's in the bathroom, you don't know. But yeah, also, I like, know. they just must own, like, a chain of restaurants, like, nationwide, like... like I right, guess they're, like, yeah, because the whole Chipotle, wait staff the, the secret be, organization. They're a holding like, company that has a ownership stake in a series of restaurants across the USA. I think you're right, but that's so fucking stupid. <laughs> Look, I don't. We know so little about this organization. We literally have no hint that they are a thing until 
Kevin has already been sh- gut shot, really. Yeah. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and like, I, I feel like that twist isn't even, like, interesting from a thematic standpoint. It feels more like it's a means to an end. Like, I think like, that it, it, it's an unnecessary twist because even if we were to take Ellie Staple at face value, she's still attempting to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. even you could have just had her be a doctor who didn't believe these people and yeah, not I, I, a doctor I who's also that. working on trying to make sure that superheroes never emerge. Yeah, I found that aspect like really interesting and compelling when they start to like even turn like uh, the horde kind of in in on itself and and Patricia is kind of like doubtful about the beast and stuff like that and I was like okay this is this is interesting I like this too bad no. that 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 whole like situation is explored in like a fifteen minute sequence in a purple room and i was just like oh my god this this movie needs some fucking editing so bad but uh, other than that like i found like (laughs) there were two women sitting next to me and one of them during that purple room sequence was like i'm bored (laughs) (laughs) i was just like i just wanted to turn to her and be like me too lady (laughs) i think that the the most interesting thing about this movie is that you go in expecting it, even though it's called Glass, you go in expecting it to be a battle between Kevin and David, or David and the mm-hmm. Beast, or whatever you want to say. But what the movie really becomes is a a fight between faith and doubt, with doubt personified by Dr. Staple, and mm-hmm. faith personified by Mr. Glass, who is doing all these machinations to make sure that the world doesn't grind down these two spectacular individuals. And so at a certain point, it becomes very clear that it's not a question of will good triumph over evil in the form of David triumphing over Kevin or the beast. It's a question of like, will, will like belief in oneself triumph over like the doubt and uncertainty instilled by this, this world that doesn't believe that this is possible. And so I think that it's potentially interesting that there is an entire organization that is dedicated to snuffing these people out before they show up. Um, I think it's equally as interesting that there is a person within that organization who like, uh, the doctor in Shutter Island believes that perhaps we can just do like a, a weird role play in order to make people believe that they're not as special as they are so that they don't have to kill them. I just, and as interesting as that is, I feel like the movie is still frustrating because even at the close, we don't have much of an idea of like, is this a national organization? Is it an international organization? Is it non-governmental like, mm-hmm. is it like the all-seeing eye from the uh, the Now You See Me movies? In which oh, case, it is at once incredibly treasure. powerful, but also makes no sense. But I think the thing, too, is that, like, I, I, I guess maybe you guys didn't actually feel this way, but I really, really felt like this was closed at the end. Like, I mm-hmm. did not at all get the sense that this was going to get a sequel. I don't think like, it's going to get a no, sequel. No, it that, – that wasn't a sequel hook at the end. No, I 100 percent sure. believe it's not. I'm, no, I'm, it's I'm just... saying like bad reviews and non notwithstanding, like just in general, like I, I guess that's why I'm finding a little bit. I, I'm finding it very interesting, honestly, to 
to hear what well, well, I, Bill, I know you were saying, especially that you're saying that there's so much you wanted from this that you didn't get. But I, I think I wasn't thinking about that because I felt like, oh, no, this is the story he wanted to tell. He yeah. didn't care about these ideas. Like, it's the same kind of thing as like, I don't know, a true detective is the thing that jumped into my, my mind uh, at the moment. Yeah, um, absolutely. I feel like a lot of the people who maybe we're upset about the ending of let's say just season one true detective are the same people who will be upset about this or the same people who were upset about like the ending of lost. Okay. Okay. But that's a little bit. It's not the same. I'm not, I'm not saying it's the same. I I just want (laughs) to specify. I'm saying it's exactly the same. Yeah. Okay. It's just Uh, a sensation. That's all I'm saying. It's a sensation of, of this film basically not delivering on kind of its promise. And I I I think it does deliver on its promise though. Okay. okay, okay, Well, it depends on what you classify as its promise because it spends so much time. It, 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 it frames itself as being uh, this, this big modern sort of superhero spectacle thing. Right. Uh, and it's like, oh, we're going to get to Osaka Tower. We're going to get to Osaka Tower. It's going to be this big showdown in front of the entire world. And we're going to prove that that uh, superheroes exist. It's going to be great. Uh, it, like uh, uh, Samuel Jackson is practically staring down the barrel of the camera, promising to the audience that this is where we're going to end up going. But Shyamalan's whole point in this in this third act is that he's he wants to frustrate us. He wants to sure. make something that's purposely disappointing. Um, he basically it's wants to say, of hands. well, it's, it's some sleight of hand. I mean, it's kind of clumsy sleight of hand, but sure. you're but, like, Oh, the coin is definitely moving. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, like, Oh, you got it over there. But I also saw that you're, that, that you replaced it with, I, I don't know. I don't know how magic tricks work. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, it, it's, it's such a, it's such a purposely frustrating movie. And the frustration is the point. Like, he it it's so it it's obnoxious because it it like he thinks he's being like really clever about it and and he's not nearly as clever as he thinks he is but he's just clever enough where i respect it yeah i feel like i'm on that same level yeah like, it, i think he's also super earnest which also mm-hmm. makes some of that condescension go down a little bit easier this is um See, I had I had like I I fell off the Shyamalan train around the time of Lady in the Water. Um, this movie is so like Lady in the Water, and that's the um, thing. I I oh. was still on board after the Village, despite what the Village does, and I think it can best be summed up. I won't look for it, but I watched the Village a couple months ago. And I was like tweeting about it and I was like, I'm like 90% of the way through this movie and I don't remember why we all turned on it so hard. And then I think literally my next tweet was quoting um, Bryce Dallas Howard going, we'll be safe. I have the magic rocks. (laughs) And just being like, oh, right. That's why. (laughs) Because like what he's doing on a narrative level is still interesting. This idea of like. This community of people who want to keep everything safe and sacred. Yes. And, and But yes. like, you know, we got to hope that like perhaps the least among us, you know, can can do the most. Like the person who we thought was the weakest is actually the strongest because of her belief and her love. But like if you just like would give up the twist like 40 minutes earlier, maybe you could say all these things that you want the movie yes. to say. There you mm. go. And so like I feel like this movie is a lot like the village but again easier to 
to deal with for me anyway, because I don't think we ever get anything that approximates it's okay, we have the magic rocks. And I love that in the movie The Village, one of the guys literally says, why have we never heard of these rocks before? I I do want to say there is a line in here that reminds me of don't worry we ha- I-, I have the magic rocks and that it is when samuel l jackson yells at uh the uh, overseer's son what is his son's name spencer 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 treat clark is the actor yes, joseph yes. is the name yeah, of the yeah. character joseph, joseph joseph is about to reveal that it was glass that killed both of their or uh, killed their father or uh, Kevin's father. And he's like, don't tell him yet. It's not the end. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? Are you serious? I like, kind of love that, actually. Yeah, that's I did too. <laughs> not, that's not a reason to not tell somebody something. <laughs> no, because it's again, it's just super clear that like Mr. Glass has again. It's like um, it's like I was saying. These people, like Mr. Glass specifically, and and the other three people that are on the outside of this hotel, uh, this hospital. um, (laughs) Hotel, hospital, same thing. (laughs) Whatever, it looks real nice. So, (laughs) great grounds. It it says a lot about you that you confuse the two. (laughs) Well, I've spent an equal amount of time in both. So, um, (laughs) that's not true. I have never been committed. Um... What was I going to say? It, so, like, these people all are viewing, again, comics as, like, a holy text that must be followed in order to to make them come true. It's like, you know, bringing up Catholicism again, like, a lot of things had to happen with Jesus in order for him to fulfill the prophecies of the, the Gospels and everything, like, for him to be the Messiah. And so Mr. Glass is here, like, all this stuff has to go just right in order for me to really make this final showdown between these two people conform to the holy texts that I've spent my life adhering to. And one of them is you can't tell the guy the tragic backstory of his dad too early. Otherwise that throws the whole fucking thing off. Like that has to be like someone's about to fall off of a building moment that then makes them like get up and like fight harder than ever. And so I, Mm -hmm. I did, I dug it when (laughs) Mr. Glass is like, not yet that's not the time it's like if if at some point like someone burst into the empire strikes back while luke is still on dagobah and is like i just found out the craziest thing your dad is darth vader Uh uh-huh yeah and then like george lucas inserts himself in the movie you can't tell him yet (laughs) yeah (sighs) see i i kind of interpret mr glass as being a Shyamalan stand-in in this movie like he's mostly Shyamalan's mouthpiece in in that like a lot of this movie is a commentary on on tropes and archetypes and how they fit together and how Shyamalan thinks he's this really brilliant auteur and like how if he's Mr. Glass then then Dr. Staple is like people trying to tell him that he's not as smart as he thinks he is and it and that when it all comes together, he's like, uh, it, it's this, it's this grand plan that comes together in the end, except it doesn't come together in the end, but wait, because Shyamalan's the big master ends. of the twist. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and so like are 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 the beast and then punch Mr. Glass in the, in the stomach. Right. Yeah. Like it's it's all <laughs> sure. it, it, like it, it's all this this grand like it, it's almost Randian in in the sense that like uh, that Shyamalan really wants you to think that he's this really brilliant auteur that that doesn't get a fair shake after his. Uh, two runaway successes at the beginning of his career, and and now it's it feels kind of vindictive, and like I kind of respect the audacity of making that the central thesis of your film, but again, it's really antagonistic, and so it's hard to one hundred percent get on board with. I find it interesting that that's that's very true. Like you know, Mister Glass is this guy who's like. You know, you have to believe in the incredible. Like, I'm going to show you something. Like, I am sure. the master. I'm, but he's also the villain and a homicidal maniac. Yeah. And so, like, if that's the Shyamalan Sorry, identification character, what does that say? What can see, we infer and, from that? Well, and that's and that's the, what kind of what I wonder too is is like, I one I don't know if he entirely thought that through. Um, Part of me and, wonders if he's like, I understand that I'm going to lose a shit ton of audience members by doing this, but I need to do it because this is what has to happen. Well, and so much of this movie was funded just in his own money. Like, I think it was – wasn't it all his own money? Like It, it might have been. It's all um, – like I feel like The Visit helped to pay for Split. Split yeah. paid for this. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, I, I don't know how much of that goes to Blumhouse and – everything else but that sounds about right i mean it's working for him i mean you know like like you said this movie more than doubled its its uh what's i'm gonna call it what do you call it when you pay for something it's costs <laughs> this mm. first weekend and um if he really wanted to do another one of these i'm sure he could i'm i find uh, it interesting i think he might have burned that goodwill i i think uh -oh. that the main reason that that glass is doing so well this weekend is because everyone's like holy shit there's a new unbreakable sequel like sure. i love unbreakable and i really liked split so let's see where this goes and i think that he very intentionally burned that bridge with the end of this movie yeah well, here's here's something I, I just ran across that relates to that specifically um apparently at, at comic-con 2018 uh Shyamalan mentioned that unbreakable is owned by uh Buena Vista International and Split is owned by Universal Pictures and they agreed to both allow this film to happen. So isn't Disney Buena Vista by the way? That's I thought I said that. Oh, no. I, I'm sorry. You didn't mention Disney. Oh, okay. Uh Disney Buena Vista. So basically he's he's mentioning that two different studios basically own the rights to the two different films. And they allowed this trilogy sequel thing, whatever the fuck this thing is, uh, to happen. Treacle? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, yeah. So I think I think you're right, Lee, that this is probably going to burn that bridge and basically be like, oh, all that goodwill? Poof. Well, when I said another one of these, what I meant was a ten to $20,000 or $20,000, $20 million movie. Wow, movies are cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that he maybe has like found his comfort zone because like 
Yeah. You know, he he can't he can never one he can never again make a movie that costs a hundred million dollars because I don't think that he's ever gonna make that much again. Um I don't know how much split made, I'm sure it was probably over a hundred million, but I think that he can be more uh, like he can roll the dice more, he can be weirder at this like cost point. And so I think that that's probably what he's gonna do. He's just gonna keep making like these Blumhouse style, like smaller movies sure. that he knows will will make enough back that he will never again, like I don't know, question whether he has to like take a second mortgage on his house or something. He's pulling a Soderbergh, doing whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and it's 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 good. I mean, like you know, this movie looks formally as good as um, a lot of Unbreakable did. I think that like the CG of the, the tower doesn't look that great but otherwise like i think it's a pretty good looking movie yeah that pink room looks great bill <laughs> i actually kind of like the the color grading stuff that they do there's oh, yeah. so do I, yeah like there's like everyone's kind of got their own color and it's 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 very evocative of the sort of moods that they convey like like uh mr glass is very royal in his purples and and uh David Dunn in his greens is very sort of a, a calming influence. And, yeah. uh, I, I don't know what the fuck, uh, the, the beast Kevin's <laughs> color symbolizes. I don't, I don't know enough about color theory. Chaos. As far as, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, but like the, but there's also like the triptych of the windows behind them too. And, uh, like it, mm-hmm. it's a pretty well-framed scene. Uh, and then like when you throw that together with like the POV shots uh, yeah. that they do, yeah. like those are pretty cool. Granted though, some of those were done specifically to, because they didn't have a very large set and they were trying to disguise that. And they were also, uh, trying to get around the fact that Bruce Willis didn't want to be there for more than however many days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like if you're working around those kinds of issues, like this movie doesn't look like a lot of movies that you can feel that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like you turn your strengths into weaknesses and you make it feel intentional. And I think that this movie really excels at doing that. Yeah. I, I mean, I really like the way that, that, um, you know, I guess it is kind of climactic. <laughs> the kind of last long, very long battle between the beast and uh, David and glass watching. Like, I really like how that scene is staged. I really like how it is at once very compact, but also is a large enough like arena that you feel like, you know, there's stuff that can happen. You know, the van comes to into it and the, the water tower with the, you know, uh, the not great CG water, but um but like, I, I don't know. I, I, I really like, I, I, I said this earlier, but I, I think you can sometimes feel those limitations, but it was kind of oddly endearing to me. Uh, I, just the way that was shot. And especially even in those fights, you know, you know, some of the CG stuff, you know, when the, the horde is like running on its, uh, on, fo- on, you know, its hands and on its hands doesn't look great, but yes, yes. All fours, the easier expression, (laughs) (laughs) but like some of the handheld stuff where it's just real up close. I, I really thought that was pretty effective and it had a, had a sense of impact that, you know, like, yeah, like (laughs) Shyamalan doesn't shoot the fight scenes in, in this series as if they're like these glamorous, like, power fantasies he shoots them like 
they're these really painful, lumbering, awkward, like they grappling. Live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's it's so it, it's so um, like cumbersome. It's 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 sloppy, and and how real people would fight if they don't have any sort of like actual training. You know, well, why do you need training if you're unbreakable? Well, right. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, like Kevin's big finishing move is just to like Python squeeze someone. Mm-hmm. Like, because again, if you can't be hurt and you're super strong, like, why would you have to do like the 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 classic comic book heroine like flip a guy, grab his neck and your thighs, flip him again, and then break it? Sure, but this film also supposes that you want to stay away from the cops and like get away from a scene of a crime pretty quickly as well. So maybe you should do your due diligence and like learn how to fucking fight because then you can get it over with. But I mean, you saw how quickly he finished off those two idiot kids in the beginning. Right. I mean like, uh, well those are also like fucking teenagers, but that's all he's ever been fighting. He's never had, he's never had a, a a superhero opposite to him. Correct. And that is why that, that to me is why, this movie is actually the ending that this trilogy needs because the whole series is about Mr. Glass wanting people to like understand that superheroes are real and that comics are like a a weird Jungian echo of something that we should know in our hearts to be true. And so, you know, he, he finds David and he's like, go develop your skills and abilities and, and go make it happen. But, like, he can't make David do all that he can do. And even says, like, you know, you've been picking your teeth with, like, pickpockets and, like, you know, violent people. But they're all just flies to you. And I need you to fight this guy to both bring Mm -hmm. you to your true potential so that I can show the world that you're not just a strong man like like some people have been claiming. Like, you know, you're not a muscle beach dude who just happens to have dad bod. Like, you are truly a remarkable individual and the only way you know to to really like sharpen steel that well is to knock it up against some more steel I, my I, I my only my my only rebuttal to him not having to face anybody kind of his equal is the end of unbreakable where he faces some giant fucking dude that he has to like uh what is it like guillotine choke for like two minutes but while that guy's the guy not is unbreakable like, no 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 <laughs> he's not I'm also saying, unbreakable what i'm saying though is that that sequence basically shows that maybe david dunn needs to learn a thing or two about like like using his his abilities so he can get the fuck out of there a lot safer and without like <laughs> like fucking leaving imprints of his body in drywall all over the place <laughs> like that's that's not a good situation to have like you know like again it, all they need really is like probably some DNA or a video of him. You know, if his fucking hood gets knocked off, people are going to see his face. Like, it's just it's just one of those things where I'm just like, ah, you, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. And cinematically, it makes sense in this film. But Unbreakable does do at least a decent job of being like, maybe you should learn how to fight, too, because that guy kind of threw you around for a little bit before you eventually put him down. So, 
Well, look, just because he's got the powers and he's going to go around doing shit doesn't mean that he's good at it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think that the opening shows that he's he's fairly good at it. Like, you know, he goes into the house, turns off the lights, handily throws like, that one dude. Which, <laughs> by the way, was that the same house as Unbreakable? <laughs> you mean uh, the, you wait, mean... The, the, the asshole kid's house or his the house? The asshole kid's house looks a hell of a lot like the house that was in Unbreakable. <laughs> Having just seen it, I thought I thought it was the second house, but now that you're kind of mentioning it, the layout is kind of similar. I think they probably reused a set. Yeah. Oh, I really they hope so. The set or it like took, if those townhouses are anything like townhouses in DC or Baltimore, like sure. they all have the same layout. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it, it it just it struck me like is this an intentional callback or not? I, I had no idea. I don't know. Here's a here's a fun thing. I love that because Split made itself take place in the same universe as Unbreakable, I guess essentially they had to have M. Night Shyamalan show up in order to explain how he could be uh, two seemingly different people <laughs> in each movie. It's such a stupid uh, scene. And what so is, he's like, oh yeah, say? I work security to building. Hey, I remember you from the football stadium. I used to run with a bad crowd there, which is like, Super dumb, and I feel is I don't I'm not gonna say that he did this on purpose, but like, sort of is him like cutting like the weird like hundred mistakes in two minutes culture off at the knees. <laughs> sure, where sure. he's just like, here's your goddamn answer. Shut up. Never mind. This is a that's a good scene. <laughs> well, I love. I think it, M Night Shyamalan actually has a very good delivery of the line of. Hey man, just let your dad take a walk. That, that is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that line is that, pretty good. That, that, that sequence is so awkward, and yeah, you can just see him just being like, "What? Could you just fucking I'm, let him?" I think go I'm going to take a walk, a walk. Yeah. Dad. I don't think you should take a walk. No, I really want to go you'll, take you'll get, a walk. You'll get yeah, you'll get tired, Dad. <laughs> just like For if you have to walk Christ. tomorrow, dude, just let your dad take a walk. <laughs> uh, I uh, oh, one other thing we haven't talked about. Uh, I mean, understandably, because it's a very small part. What did you guys think of bringing back Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy as a, a Casey and what her role was in the film? I have some really uncomfortable feelings about one scene in particular it, where uh, they're, they're walking out. It, it's right after she interacts with Kevin and uh, Dr. Staple is just like, Please, high school girl, can you come to this dangerous mental patient and give him affection? Uh, and I'm like, that's weird and creepy. Like, and you're treating it like it's this really normal thing to ask someone who is underage. Like, like no, thank you, movie. That's weird. Don't do that. <laughs> I did find that kind of strange. Yeah, I. Um, it was very uh, I, odd. <laughs> Yeah, all of all of that interaction stuff feels very weird to me. Um, yeah. Nope. Nope, I'm good. <laughs> and, and, what, you mean when Hedwig's talking about his girlfriend? <laughs> ah, that's that's not even like th- that that is so like innocent compared to the, everything else that kind of happens with her character and just like her whole interaction feels 
I don't I don't remember them having as much of a connection in glass or in split. But now that like I'm trying to think about it, I guess they do have kind of like a little bit of an interaction, but not to where like she can basically calm the horde by getting Kevin, I guess. I don't know. Like it Mm. never developed to the point where it was like, Oh yeah, this is something I can definitely do. Let me try this again. It was more of Holy shit. I got to escape this place. This is my last ditch effort. Holy shit. It worked. Okay, cool. I bought myself some time, but in this film, it's like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. We, we go way back. Don't worry about it. Like I got this. And you're just like, Whoa, well, it's they, they do that with her because they need an analog for Kevin that's comparable to uh, Elijah's mom and uh-huh, uh-huh. Dunn's sure. son. Sure, sure. And, and it's kind of a it's kind of a clumsy way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I will say that the scene where she's interacting with Kevin in his uh, in his cell, uh, like I think that's a really well acted scene. But yeah. again, like. As as far as like her place in the story, it feels weird. Well, it's I, I feel like it's kind of strange. I can't. I maybe need to see Split again. I don't remember how much time she really had with Kevin. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, and so it, just... it is. It is a little strange that like they have this weird because she she spent so much more time with Hedwig, and mm-hmm. I don't know if Kevin. No, he clearly doesn't. He's not able to like see out of these other people's eyes. So it's just kind of weird that he's like. Oh, hey, it's you. Like, what's up? How's it going? We're friends, right? Well, isn't there the revelatory moment about her talking about her trauma with her uncle? Is that with Kevin? That's what she she tells Kevin in this movie, like, hey, I got my uncle arrested. And he's like, that's fantastic. I was like, I couldn't remember if that was something that they talked about in Split. No, it's it's a big, it's a big moment. I I know. Superpower, but. I I know that's something about the beast as well, though, because like sure. he, he he mentions over and over that that like they are the pure and they are the cleansed or or something like that, or basically, you know, I mean, the end of split is basically reversing the idea of trauma as like this this bad thing, and sure. the beast is basically saying no, trauma is a good thing. It it gives you. I like and in an icky way it gives you like character and it builds you and it's, it's cleansing. like yeah, yeah. yeah. he's there like it's for like, the broken people who he feels yes. like society only uses to to further their own selves yes which and, is another and, thing with like, like he he is another person who wants the world to see him so that like some sort of like sea change in in mm-hmm. perception can happen mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Well, I, guess I, I, I I like that aspect of Split a lot. I just um, I feel like they kind of fumble that in this film because they're they have to like like you're saying they have to make an analog with with Glass's mother and with uh, the the son and yeah. it's just like and here's Anya Taylor Joy remember her here? and it's like it's like yeah I remember her she ran away and she was scared as fuck why would she go back to that situation <laughs> well because well, he's I, behind bars and uh, <laughs> I'm not going back there well she's obviously a stronger person than you Bill yes yes <laughs> I think right. the other thing related to this this is just my last thought on this is 
I, I feel some discomfort with the way that, like, uh, Brian, you were talking about the difference between faith and doubt and how that's a continually continual conflict in this film. And and uh, I, as with all of you, I found that stuff very interesting. But I think it, it gets a lot weirder with how sadistic the things that the Horde and Glass do. And I know that's obviously in um, – in conjunction with them meant to be like super villains, but especially coming with like the last message, which is supposed to be this kind of, you know, like triumphant truth out there. There's just something very underbaked to me. And in terms of the way that those two uh, ideas communicate with each other, not in a way that makes it more complex or textured, but rather in a way that it, it feels like there is, is a link um, that's missing between those two ideas. It, it feels like the film's moral compass is a, is a little askew. Like you, it, it wants you to root for these characters from a, a thematic standpoint, but the but the actions that they take within the film itself are objectively reprehensible. Yeah, but like weird? only spe- absolutely. But it's weird because it's only specifically it's a few specific moments. Like it could have very easily, I think, been lightened, and that would obviously make it a little less morally interesting. But uh, yes, that is that is exactly how I feel. So I, I'm just curious whether anybody else thought that. I mean, you already said I think the moral compass is right on. But I, uh, Brian, did you feel anything like that, or did you think that those two things? you know, worked in concert with each other. No, I thought that they worked in concert with each other. Well, that's, that's our show. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This is, that's, that's about right. I don't know. Like, <sighs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what more to say, unfortunately. Yep. Okay. Well, let me put it this way. Did yes. you find glass to be a sympathetic character? By I, the that is a difficult question. I think so. Ooh, sure. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what I was saying earlier about what's interesting about this movie. You know, the faith and everything is that yeah, <clears throat> Glass is a villain, but in 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 the way of so many of our best comic book villains, he's got a point. You know, sure. like Killmonger had a point. Uh, Eric Lesher often has a point. You know, I I find those villains a lot more interesting than. I don't know, whatever the fuck Steppenwolf was trying to do in, in Justice League, you know? So, like, I think that... I don't think anyone's out here, like, talking up Steppenwolf and how he had a point about how everyone should follow him because he's Steppenwolf, you know? I, I saw Justice League. Who the fuck is Steppenwolf? He's the, the shitty <laughs> that the CGI guy? dude, right? All yep. right. Sure. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <sighs> pretty pretty sure that uh what John Malkovich and Gary Sinise acted uh, in his theater company. No, no I, one's gonna I, laugh at that no, Steppenwolf joke. Are you making a Chicago I, theater joke? Yeah, no <laughs> I thought that you would appreciate it. You know, Carrie Coon just joined the regular cast, so I'm gonna definitely be going to the Steppenwolf soon. Oh yeah, Carrie Coon, uh, who also played a gross CGI creation in another nonsense comic book movie. <laughs> Not nearly as nonsensical. Come on. Uh, it's pretty nonsensical. We're um, not doing this. We're not but doing that, this. But again, that – okay, so we'll say, you know, to, to play into Bill's point sure. a little bit. Uh, what's his name? Thanatos? 
No, that's Thanos. the blood Thanos. company. Thanos, he's purple. <laughs> Got Thanatos. a ball sack for a chin. Oh, no, Theranos is the blood company. They're, they're probably evil, too, let's be honest. The blood company is totally evil. That woman lied. She's the, the uh, proto-fire festival dude. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, uh, what was I going to say? Thanos had like a point, you know, he, like people were like, you know, but Thanos kind of has a little bit of a point. I think that you want that. And I think that in a way, his goal is it, it's almost chaotic neutral. You know, he's like, I just want people to realize that they're spectacular. Some of those people might be great. Some of them might eat cheerleaders. All that matters <laughs> is that they're not what we've been told we are. <laughs> I, I do find, oh. like, his his whole theorem at the beginning of Unbreakable is just so fucking fascinating and interesting that basically he's just like, I have this blood disease, I don't make this certain kind of protein, and it makes my bones brittle. Why isn't there someone that maybe makes too much of that protein and their bones are fucking unbreakable like that kind of makes sense right it's kind of it's kind of one of those like stupid scientific back like theories that's like oh okay yeah we, we could definitely make dinosaurs out of like frog dna that that seems like that should work right and it's just like it's smart enough just to kind of skate by while you're watching it where you're just like yeah no that that kind of makes sense. And then he's like, but by the way, I killed like 800 people to get to this. And you're just like, uh, don't, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just imagining the, the ending of unbreakable as being like very different now where we're like, <laughs> where like the reveal is like, yes, I, I derailed that train. And, and then Bruce Wells is just like, Oh no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> But but why? Yeah, I already existed. <laughs> you, you didn't create me. Damn oh it. my god! He was the um, he. One, Elijah Price in Unbreakable and in this movie seeks to be the psychic awakening. You know, of like the, the like I said, the sea change catalyst sure, sure. for the entire world. And in the Unbreakable, he is the, that for Bruce Willis. And in this movie, he's that for everyone else in the world. I um. I thought that the ending of this movie was going to be not them just putting it out there. I thought it was going to be them like making a call for people who thought that they might be like unbreakables to like come sure. and meet them. And, and I that, feel like yeah. that might have been a little more interesting than the train station where clearly no one is actually looking at their phone. <laughs> There were some people who were looking at their phones. Yeah, there okay. were there, there the more extra video that, 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 like, <laughs> that doesn't look like anything more impressive than anything you could find on YouTube already. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, if I one, got that, I'd be like, uh, uh, okay, cool, more spam. <laughs> one cool thing that's going on on IMDb, if you haven't visited it yet, uh, the glass page, all the text is in purple. And I was like, oh, that's... That's a neat little thing that I guess they're doing cross promotion. Yeah. On IMDb, I, the glass page, all the text is, uh, well, not all the text. Most of the text is in purple and some of it is in white, clearly representing glass because his favorite color is fucking purple. I, if you didn't know huh, that. All right. I, no, no, I've just, I've just got it open and I, I don't have that effect. What? You don't have the purple. Yeah. Bananas. 
Yeah, I, have the- I, I do see Ronald, powerful young man in the credits, though. Are you uh, on desktop or are you I'm on... I'm on desktop. Huh. I do see Ronald, how powerful young man. You know, Which is a hilarious credit. <laughs> Sergei Dedenko really thought this was going to be his, his big <laughs> moment. T, skinny camera kid. He's got power coming up. People watch power. Is power a thing? Power is a show that stars 50 Cent. What? What the fuck is this? No, maybe Why it have I never heard of it. Cent. It's about a nightclub owner who's also a drug dealer. Okay. Um, speaking of just funny, uh, funny M. Night Shyamalan uh, casting credits, in um, Split, his M. Night Shyamalan's character credit was um, Jai slash Hooters lover. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So that is not a new thing for him. Is making someone. He's just a uh, Jai security guard in this one. I know, but we have Ronald, powerful young man, <laughs> which is going to be the name of my new indie rock band. <laughs> uh, do you guys know the the fun bit of trivia about Charlene Woodward? Woodard? No. Uh, no. She's uh, so she is sixty five years old. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who plays her oh, son yes. in this movie, is 70 years old. Wait a second. Samuel L. Jackson is 70 years old? Yes. He looks so good. No fucking way. <laughs> yeah, no, he looks great for his age. but He looks younger than I do. And I'm 31 years old. <laughs> all right, you got to cigarettes, man. It's doing bad things to <laughs> I got to cut back on all my drinking. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they put they put her in in some old age makeup because I'm definitely looking at an image of her and that is not her. <laughs> yeah, no, she is. She's got old age makeup on in this movie. Because uh-uh. <laughs> if you do the math, she's she's got to be like ninety something in this movie. Like, well, how old is Mister Glass supposed to be? Because there's no way that they have in the script Mister Glass a sixty or a seventy year old man. You know. Well, it's been 20 years since Unbreakable. How old was he supposed to be in Unbreakable? 38. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know. Uh, Wait, no. In in that movie, is there an opening credit where it says how what the year was when he was born? I don't believe so. It doesn't say like Philadelphia 1945. (laughs) Philadelphia yeah, in 1961, Elijah Price is born with type <laughs> one osteogenesis imperfecta. Okay, wait. Okay. Is that real? Are you reading? Yeah, are you reading? Yeah, Come on, Mike. Wiki. Oh, hey, you're on the well, wiki. Don't 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 put it in a sarcastic voice because we're trying to answer this question. <laughs> oh, and you're like sarcastic. That was my podcast voice. I'm going to talk like <laughs> that for the rest of that's oh, that's no. just how podcasts sound. It's just perpetually sarcastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Glass is a then, 2019 film written so and directed by M Night Shyamalan, so starring Bruce. So that would make that would make Elijah 68? Price uh, 58. That would make him 58. Holy yeah. shit! So I was right. <laughs> yeah, he was 38. <laughs> Unbreakable. Uh, 39, because it was the year 2000. Oh, uh, that's true. All yeah. right, I was close wrong, though. Brian. No, you're wrong. <laughs> I was super close. If this were the Prices Right, I guarantee I would have fucking won. <laughs> 
jeez. Oh, All right, so are we done? I feel like we've reached the end. When we start, usually when we start wondering how old characters are and talking about the finer points of podcast voices, that's when you know we've reached our end. Oh. No, I could go all night. Let's let's make this a five-hour podcast. <laughs> all right, so that means that I'll be going to bed sometime around one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I think our longest ever was two and two hours and something. We're extending on, it on a superhero movie for some reason. Was oh, it okay? I don't know. I'm making Why it you up. gotta go and try to say something if it ain't true? <laughs> I like to make you sad, Brian. It's fun. Was, was well, it for this, Suicide well, Squad? Just, <laughs> oh, you're probably right. He's just trying to make the the truth of the the ending of this podcast a a, a reverse a reversal. He's trying to he's trying to Mister Glass us all. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, Widows was two hours and two minutes. That this is such bad. good radio. I swear. <laughs> I'm done. No, I'm, I'm going to go through all 300 and something oh, episodes shit. until I find our longest one. Bear with oh, me, bad. gentlemen. Holy shit. Spirio was pretty long. Just a long. All right. Yeah. Anyway, so that's it for today. Hopefully you've all enjoyed listening to us talk about Glass. If you have any of your own thoughts or feelings or whatever, you can uh, talk to us on Slack if you're a part of our Patreon at patreon.com slash filmstageshow. If not, uh, tweet us at filmstageshow, write us podcast at filmstage.com, find us on Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Also, don't forget that we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where right now you can see two of Catherine Bigelow's earliest movies, Blue Steel and Near Dark. Near and Dark um, you can get a free 30-day trial by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Next week, what are we talking about next week? Are, are we going to do the Godard? Or are we going to do if Beale Street could talk? Or what are we going to do? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Anyway, lock, look on Twitter to find out what we're going to be talking about next week. Because uh, I don't have the time or the inclination to figure it out right now. Oh, we could do Serenity. That movie that's been like delayed 25 times starring uh, Matthew McConaughey. I do want to see I'm that. I'm reviewing that this week. Uh that's gonna be fun. You sound very excited. I think uh, that could be like a good little like Southern Swamp Pulp, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing I is, the trailer that's out for it right now still says October. <laughs> oh, uh, really? Jeez. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't even bother cutting a new trailer for the January release. <laughs> All right, maybe it's not so good. <laughs> that is cool. oh, the the newest uh, film by Stephen Knight, who did Locke and Eastern Promises. Oh yeah. Finders. Yeah. The new Joe Cornish one is really good. Um, oh, kid in King Arthur's Court or whatever. Yeah, that one's or it, well. It's it's the kid who would be king. That's the uh, one. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that one's real good. Um, if you're in the mood for a kids' film, does it actually feel like Cornish? Yeah, hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I do want to check the that. trailers. Make it look like a much worse movie than it is. Yeah, that that trailer was was the trailer rough. was rough. <laughs> trailer was rough. All right. Well, let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time. Lee, as our guest, why don't you go first and tell our fine listeners where you can be found online if they'd like to follow you? Yeah. Uh, so you can read a lot of my stuff on uh, birthmoviesdeath.com. Uh, I actually had an article about Glass that went live this morning. Uh, and, or I guess was it'll be... Was the text be, in purple? It was not in purple. <laughs> then um, why would you even read it? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, I really need to up my Alternating game. Alternating purple, green, and orange by letter. 
No, God. Um, but uh, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Lee Munson PBF, uh, L E I G H M O N S O N PBF. All and right, that's, that's Bill, my stuff. Bill Graham, where can people find you online? You can find me watching the Patriots game right now, uh, and you can find me online at Twitter at CableBFG and also mixing it up on that Slack channel. Jesus, y'all talk a lot on there. It's hard to keep up with. All right, Michael Snydell. Bill, we're recording a podcast. Stop watching a football game. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at @snydell, where I was told by my lovely followers that I should apparently watch The Happening. Uh, so maybe that will happen, and maybe I'll write a review of that. Your followers do not have your best interests at heart. <laughs> it was that, or uh, Avatar, or Lady in the Water. So, or After Earth. So there were good no choices. Good <laughs> All right, um, you can find me watching Patriot Games, not the Patriots game. On Twitter, at Brian J. Rowan, uh, my personal site, Deerfilm.net, and BrianJRowan.com. Uh, follow me on Instagram, Letterboxd, and everything else, at Brian J. Rowan. I have a review of Glass on TheFilmStage.com, and I will be publishing tomorrow an essay regarding the ending. So if you want to hear, hear, if you want to read a similar-ish rundown of all my thoughts that you heard here in text form, you can go there to do that. So ladies and gentlemen... Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time. Bye.